We're just so thankful to be together this evening at the, near the close of a great day that God has given us. If, if you made it through the rain and the hail this afternoon that several of us experienced, that's great. But uh, great to be together this evening to honor the God of heaven, worship Him, and do those kinds of things that please Him, we pray, in our worship tonight. We hope the time together that we spend this evening is beneficial to you, edifying, and builds you up and encourages you in your faith. If you're visiting with us again, we're really happy that you can be with us. We'll be talking tonight about talking, about speaking of the spiritual, about conversations on a higher plane. In James chapter 2 and verse 12, James encourages us, so speak and so do, as those will be judged by a law of liberty. Our speech needs to reflect our relationship with God and our expectation that we're going to be judged by his law of liberty, a law that's full of grace and yet full of expectation for us as well. So how are we doing in our conversations with, uh, with one another, with people of the world? What sort of conversations are we having? Are they indicative of conversations that people should have who are living under a law of liberty? Or are they not much different from conversations that people in the world have? The, the, the phrase the sound barrier, I don't know if it's used much anymore. We heard a lot about the sound barrier when I was growing up. I remember um, living out in Colorado Springs near the Air Force uh, base out there, Peterson Field. Um, the Thunderbirds would sometimes fly, I mean, like right over our house, you know, and they get to going right past that speed of sound. You hear the big boom. Uh, you don't, don't ever forget that. Uh, that's a pretty amazing thing. And I was enthralled as a young child with this uh, big black jet that they've got out in front of the Space Center over there. You know, the, uh, the Blackbird, as they call it, goes uh, three times the speed of sound, goes Mach 3. It was a surveillance plane, uh, just a, an amazing uh, feat of engineering. So the deal, though, about the sound barrier is that when they were trying to get a jet to go past the speed of sound, uh, scientists and Aerodynamic engineers discovered that the closer and closer they got to going that fast, the harder and harder it was to go faster. And so are apparently drags in aerodynamics that cause that to be the case, that it's really difficult to get through that barrier. You can get right up to it, but to get through that barrier became an issue. And so it was called the sound barrier. Uh, but of course, it was, it was broken and broken again and broken again. And we've got aircraft, obviously, that go many times the speed of sound now. There's a sound barrier when it comes to our conversations. And it's not that we're not talking fast enough, it's that we're not talking high enough. And I don't mean the pitch in our voices. <laughs> it's easy to have conversations about common things and mundane things and frankly worldly things. But to elevate our conversations on the plane where they ought to be, where they ought to be if we're men and women who are going to be judged by a law of liberty, that, that's the challenge. And that's the difficult thing. And that's what we'll be talking about tonight. We cannot, it has been said, walk the walk if we don't talk the talk. But I'd like to say that we cannot, in fact, do either, talk the talk or walk the walk, if we don't do the other. And 
We need to understand that as Christians. People of the world engage in worldly talk. They do that naturally. They're living in the world. They're of the world. And in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 5, John says, Therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. People who are of the world, religious leaders that's talking about, speak as of the world. That's, if you will, natural to who they are. But our fellowship in Christ should result in conversations on a higher level with one another and with those of the world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore we speak. We speak what's in us. We speak our beliefs. That's the natural thing for us to do. People all the time talk about things they believe in, things that they trust in, things that are important to them. Our faith is important to us. So we believe and we speak our faith. The apostles in Acts chapter 4, verses 18 and 20, they were commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And they responded, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. This was what was in their hearts. This was what they were. They were apostles of Christ. And we should find that that's true of ourselves as well. We are Christians and we must speak what's within us. So if, if we're examined and we're going to be examined by the law of liberty... What would God find relative to the spiritual content of our conversations? Is God pleased with what he hears? Spiritual conversations, we understand, can be very beneficial to us. But mainly, they're conversations that glorify God. They can result in the conversion of lost souls, spiritual growth for ourselves and those that we're conversing with, the strengthening of a church, and the encouragement of our brethren, among other things. Let's think about what spiritual conversations are not focused on. They are not about worldly wisdom. The world has a lot of wisdom. It's based on human thinking, uh, what humans approve of, what humans have come up with on their own, outside of God. Paul, when he went to the church in Corinth, said that my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. It's really odd to me that, you know, there are people in the world that claim to be Christians and they try to persuade other people to become Christians, not by the words of Christ, but by <laughs> human philosophy and human approaches and human marketing schemes and all those kinds of things. And they try to get them to become Christians with that sort of thing. That's never going to work. That cannot work. And Paul wasn't going to use that when he's speaking to the church at Corinth. He says, my speech was not with persuasive words of human wisdom. It was, in fact, in the gospel of Christ where it was centered. What advice do we give each other when we're talking to each other about anything? What kind of advice do we give? Where does that advice come from? somebody's wanting help with a problem in their lives or they've got a situation at work or you know dealing with the interpersonal problem or uh, a life choice that they've got to make and they want to know what we think about that we have friends and neighbors and loved ones in Christ that approach us with that kind of thing maybe all the time what kind of advice do we give well I think well you think what where does that advice come from 
Where's that conversation going to go? Where's it going to start and where's it going to go? Is it going to be based on worldly wisdom? Well, the thing you want to do if you want to make some money, the thing you want to do if you don't want to have any more problems, the thing you want to, you know, or is it going to be, well, here's what the book of God says. Here's a Bible principle that will help you with that. Where is that conversation? It needs to be in God's wisdom. In God's wisdom. We'll talk more about that later. But not in worldly wisdom. Spiritual conversations are not focused on gaining or maintaining worldly possessions. Surely we realize that. Jesus told us not to lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroys and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupt and thieves do not break through and steal. Because he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our treasure and our heart are not on this world. It's not on mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. Either you'll hate the one and love the other. You'll hold the one and despise the other, Jesus says. So our focus in life is not on material things. So our conversations should not be focused on material things. Now, don't get me wrong. There are, there are material things that we've got to talk about. What's on the grocery list, right? <laughs> what chores are you doing around the house? Does the car need fixing? Do I need a new car? Uh, does the house need painting? There's all kinds of things that we have to talk about when it comes to material things. But that can't be the focus of every conversation. Especially not when it involves things we don't really need, things we don't really need to do. It involves trying to keep up with the materialistic society that we're living in. That can't be the focus of our conversations. If we have food and clothing, we should be content. Everyone in this room has much more than food and clothing. We should be much more than content. And so worrying about those things should never enter our minds, really. And focusing our hearts and minds on those things seems to me would be the last thing we want to do. Jesus says, as he talks about all of this in the Sermon on the Mount, winds it up in Matthew 6 and verse 33 as he's considering these these problems. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Just put God first, make that the first priority. And what I'm saying to you is that's going to be coming out in our conversations. That would come out in our conversations, right? They wouldn't be materialistically focused. They wouldn't indicate a worry about worldly things constantly. And by that I mean material things. Our conversations cannot be focused, certainly not solely, on worldly activities. Romans 12 and verse 2 is a passage we're familiar with. We focused on it um, a good bit together here not long ago. But there Paul admonishes us, do not be conformed to this world. If our lives are not conformed to this world, surely our speech cannot be conformed to this world either. And that's not just when we're talking about gossip or saying ugly words or whatever, but the whole tenor of our speech, the whole focus of our speech. If we talk about the very same things that the world talks about, then what's the difference between us and them? How are we transformed? Are we not rather conformed if our conversations are just like those in the world? What sets us apart And even if the conversation is not about things that are sinful, but just about things of of the world, they may not be things that are ultimately good for us to talk about or to be concerned with. 
Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I think arguments could be made that there's some degree of lawfulness in watching a television, in seeing a movie, perhaps, in having the internet, in social media, in gaming, in hobbies. All of those things at least could be argued to be lawful. But they're not always helpful. So as we've said many times from this pulpit, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And just because you can doesn't mean that if your heart's in the right place, doesn't mean that you would be overly focused on all of those sorts of things. When Christians spend more time talking about worldly things, whether it's sports or social media or uh, whatever it might be, when we spend more time focused on that and more of our energies and our mental capacity focused on that rather than spiritual matters, you have to wonder what is truly our religion. What is truly our religion? Spiritual conversations are not focused on gossip. Gossip is a sin. It can't be a spiritual conversation. 1 Timothy 5.13 speaks of those who learn to be idle. Wandering about from house to house, it says, not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. There are some things that just ought not to be said. Gossip is included in those things. Do we spend more time talking with one another about others and about their confidential business than about things God wants us to be talking about? Spiritual conversations are not focused on the doctrines of men. And here I want to just take a step back from this for a minute. Always, it seems to me, in the spiritual realm and among the Lord's people, they're always on the peripheral, some new ideas floating around that at least people think are new about a spiritual concept or some way to approach worship, or some novel approach to this aspect or that aspect of our spirituality. And that's seldom good. Some of you know that for several years, I enjoyed keeping uh, saltwater aquarium, actually aquariums, in my home couple of very big saltwater aquariums that if you looked at it, it looked like um, you were looking at a reef. There were corals growing in there and all kinds of tropical marine fish and all that sort of thing. It was, it was very delicate to keep that going. Uh, you had to know a little bit about chemistry, which I know almost nothing about, so had to do a lot of reading and study on that and all sorts of different aspects of keeping that just like you wanted it without killing all of the fish and the corals in there. And there's a saying that, goes, uh, that went around among hobbyists of that hobby, which, talking about things I spent too much time on, probably that would be one of them in my life. But nonetheless, um, there was a saying that went around that there's nothing good that ever happens in a reef aquarium that happens fast. If it happens fast, if it's new, it ain't good. And so it is 
in the Lord's church. New and novel ideas that go sweeping around and everybody gets swept away with this concept and, uh, you know, oh, well, we had not ever been doing this and it doesn't say to do that in the scriptures, but we've got this new approach and this new concept and this new thing we're going with that somebody's come up with. That's never good. What Paul says as he writes about this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, he says, avoid or shun, the ESV says avoid, shun is even stronger, that's what the New King James says, shun profane and idle babblings. If the world came up with it, if it has to do with something spiritual, don't toy with it. Don't fool with it. If it relates to things that folks think need to be changed about our doctrine, our practice. So many who are weak in the faith are easily swayed by the doctrines of men. And frankly, even if it's something that we think we can handle, it's not necessarily something we just need to be talking about with everybody. Conversations among Christians should not be centered on the latest religious fads, but on what God declares in his book, giving book, chapter, and verse for what's said. And then, talking about things we're not supposed to be talking about, if you will. We don't need to be complaining. Our circumstances in life, no matter what we think, and again, this is something I have to work on constantly. No matter what I think about what just happened to me that was bad, I don't need to complain about it. There is no circumstance in life that forces you to complain. If Paul could say, as he said, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content, then you and I can learn the same thing too. He'd been in the state, you know, of being beaten, of being shipwrecked, of oh, imprisonment. He goes through the whole litany of things as he's writing to the Corinthians, right? I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Not to complain. He writes to the Philippians earlier in Philippians chapter 2, and he tells them to do all things without complaining, without complaining and disputing, so that they might let their light shine. When he writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he reminds them of how the Israelites complained. We've just been through in our studies the period of the exodus and the wilderness wandering, and they just perfected complaining. And even on to the period of the judges, it seems to me there's quite a bit of complaining that goes on from time to time, but most of the bad things that happened to them and the judges happened to them because uh, they brought it on themselves. And that's also true of most complaining anyway. The stuff we complain about, probably we brought it on ourselves anyway. But the point is, Complaining doesn't do anybody any good. Brethren who complain, do not build up others. Do not encourage others to become Christians. Rather, they drag them down. So, leaving that behind, there's stuff we don't want to talk about necessarily, or at least should say not the focus of conversation, certainly. What's the purpose of a spiritual conversation? What should it be? We're trying to sharpen others, Christians especially, Proverbs 27, 17, I love that passage. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. One translation says one man sharpens the countenance of another. So we do that 
by encouraging others in our struggles, especially our struggle with sin. If you look at Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12, listen to the exhortation of the writer. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. He says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily, as long as it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another daily. Just encourage one another to overcome your, 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 your sins, your temptations, your struggles. Exhort one another daily. Everyone needs encouragement to keep them strong against the sins, the struggles, the trials, and the temptations that they're facing. Encouragement, obviously, can be given by supportive words. The very word encourage means to instill courage. Our brethren, we have so many right now that are facing serious health issues. Let's say words that instill courage. Let's pray prayers that instill courage. We have so many, all of us, that are facing trials of temptation and from Satan on a regular basis. Let's say things to one another that instill courage as we fight those battles. We all have our struggles in life, yet no matter how difficult the trials, we can give and receive needed strength by encouraging one another, by edifying one another. A related word, which means to build up, to build up, and to build up with God's word. God's word is the tool that we use to strengthen one another. In Acts 20 and verse 32, Paul was speaking to the elders from Ephesus that he met at Miletus. And he says, as he winds up the conversation, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word of his grace is able to build you up. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul, in talking about the things the church does and the things that Christ has provided so that the church can build itself up, he speaks in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 that we need to be speaking truth in love so that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, he says, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Please notice that he started that by saying, speaking truth in love, and then he ends it by saying, the body, every part supplies its share, edifies itself through love. I'm not, again, necessarily a really smart man, but I think I can figure out that if you're speaking truth in love, that results in edifying in love, that conversations that are edifying can build up the church. Can build up the church. And those are the conversations we need to be having with one another. Not the kind of conversations we were talking about a minute ago, complaining, tearing down, gossiping. That's not helpful. And that's not the plane we want our conversations to be on. Admonishing one another. The word admonish uh, has a broad meaning. It can mean to counsel, to encourage. It can also mean to warn, almost to the point of threaten. <laughs> so it has a very broad meaning is how it's used. Sometimes it's translated warn in Scripture. The word admonish is. Uh, and it has, a, it has a breadth of meaning most times that it's used. 
But in Romans chapter 15 and verse 14, Paul tells the Romans, he says, you're full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another. We want to admonish each other. That again goes all the way from counseling to warning to everything in between perhaps. How do we do that? We talked a few minutes ago, I was talking about somebody comes to you for advice or they have a problem or just telling you about something that's going on in their lives and you want to give your two bits, you know, to uh, tell them maybe a good direction to go. We have those kinds of opportunities. But what's the basis of our advice? What's the basis of that counsel that we give? That's kind of the question. We've already noticed it can't be worldly. It can't be based on human wisdom. What should it be based on? Well, it should be based on on the Word of God, surely. Notice the verse again that we just looked at. Romans 15 and verse 14. Here's what Paul says to the Romans and why he's confident that they can admonish one another. He says, first of all, you are full of goodness. And because you're full of goodness, you want the best for others. You want to do good for others and do good by others. You are full of goodness. Secondly, he says, you are filled with all knowledge. The Romans understood the will of God. It's one thing to have good intentions. Lots of folks have good intentions that don't know anything about what God expects and wants. But the Romans did. You are full of goodness and knowledge. And therefore, because you know what the book says, because you know what God's word says, we should say, you are able to admonish. We're able to do that based on God's word. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14, Paul instructs the Thessalonians to warn those that are unruly. The concept there is admonish those who are unruly. We are fortunate, my friends, if we have even one good friend in Christ who will warn us when we need warning, who will admonish us when we need admonishing, to whom we can go for counsel and know, know that we will receive information that is based on God's Word. We're grateful that among the members at Eastside there are many who are quite capable because they're full of goodness and full of knowledge, quite capable of being that kind of friend and carrying on that kind of conversation. I know for a fact the elders individually and collectively have conversations like this with people all the time. And I know that there are a good many godly women in this congregation that have conversations with people like that all the time. And I just want you to know that if you feel like you're on the outside looking in of that and you're, you need some advice, you need some counsel, or you'd like to talk to somebody, there are a lot of people sitting around you that would be ha- very happy to engage in that kind of conversation with you. Very happy to. Those are the kind of conversations that we need. We're going to one another with tougher problems, need serious counseling, and we can trust one another and know that whatever is said will be based on what God wants. And following that, that we might need to be corrected. Sometimes a spiritual conversation has to result in uh, a correction or is designed to result in a correction. James 5 and verse 19, James says at the end of his epistle, if anyone wonders from the truth 
and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Wow. What a great thing it is to turn somebody back when they're going in the wrong direction. We do that by conversation. Sometimes you might want to do it with a two-by-four, but that's not going to work. <laughs> You've got to do it by a conversation. And it might be a difficult conversation. Titus 1 and verse 13, Paul tells Titus, in dealing with some difficult people about some difficult things, the people in Crete, he says, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. You're trying to correct folks who are going down a wrong road. Spiritual conversation will include caring enough for the salvation of another to speak up and to say the difficult thing that needs saying, though surely in kindness. And then as we have conversations with people in the world, our goal clearly is to elevate the conversation to such a point that they might learn something of Christ and their need for him. And whatever kind of thing we're talking about. We have difficulty, don't we? Too much and so often. Talking to people in the world about Jesus. Talking to people in the world about the gospel of Christ. Again, it's easy to have a conversation on a pretty low level with anybody. But to elevate that. I read some years ago a story of a, of a young salesman and he just lost this big sale and he was talking to one of his mentors and uh, he said, well, I guess you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink. And his mentor said, son, <laughs> your job isn't to make them drink. Your job is to make them thirsty. When people are in conversations with us, about anything, it ought to be our goal, especially if we're talking to those outside of Christ, to make them thirsty for Jesus. The woman at the well was thirsty, but she didn't know it until Jesus elevated that conversation. She just wanted to talk about the water, but Jesus wanted to talk about the water of life. That's interesting, isn't it? Such a simple thing, getting a drink of water. And it elevates the conversation. Jesus is able to elevate that conversation to such a point that she and the entire village were evangelized. We can do that. We can do that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 22, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. So you meet them where they are. You're sitting at the well. You're by the water fountain at work, whatever it might be, in the break room, whatever. Going through the grocery line. And you start with something that's common, but you need to elevate it. You need to elevate it. The Living Bible translates 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 22 this way. Whatever a person is like, I try to find common ground with him so that he will let me tell him about Christ, that Christ may save him. That's a free paraphrase, I realize, but I think it gets to the thought 
Someone has written that good evangelists are people who engage others in good conversations about important and profound topics such as faith, values, hope, meaning, purpose, goodness, beauty, truth, life after death, life before death, and God. Those are higher topics, aren't they? This person goes on to write, good evangelism is the process of being friendly without discriminating and influencing all of one's friends toward better living through good deeds and good conversations. So, what's the content of a spiritual conversation? What's in that conversation? Quickly, three things basically. True doctrine, God's word. We've already mentioned this. Paul writes in Titus chapter 2 and verse 7 to Titus, In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity. Make sure your teaching, what you're teaching is right. That it stands true on God's word. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. Secondly, the content of a spiritual conversation involves, as we've already hinted at, Wisdom from the scriptures to deal with life's questions and problems. Explicitly in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul says, commands us, let your speech be always, please notice the word always, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Yes, we have to give attention to our conversations, especially those who are outside of Christ, and that's what Paul is talking about there particularly in Colossians. The mouth of the righteous, Psalms 37 and 30, the mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom and his tongue talks of justice. Wisdom comes from God's word. So we speak of God's word, we speak of wisdom from the scriptures, and we speak of God's work, who he is, what he's done, and how he can help. Psalm 77 and verse 12. I will meditate on all your work. I will talk of your deeds. I will talk of your deeds. I'll talk about what God has done. When we think of something as simple as the storms this afternoon, the good Lord's power was really seen. You remember Job talks about how the Lord makes the uh, lightning strike the mark. I saw that. I saw that. I saw several shots of cloud-to-ground lightning this afternoon. Did you see some of that? Awesome power of God. When we look at the world, we see God's works all around us. Let's talk about those things. Let's give him credit for those things. Let's talk about his righteousness all day long. Psalm 71 verse 24, my tongue shall talk of your righteousness, how right he is all day long. It shouldn't be an unusual thing to talk about the righteousness of God. My tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all day long. That's Psalm 35 and verse 28. All day long we speak of those things. So, as we conclude, let's strive for conversations on a higher plane. We can do this. This isn't the first time that I've, uh, here at Eastside that I've encouraged us, and encouraged mainly myself, to elevate conversations. We can do this. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. That's where our conversation needs to be.
We sing a song sometimes. I did not ask Scott to lead it tonight, so we, we won't sing it tonight, but you're familiar with it. Higher ground. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Lord, the song says, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, can I add to that, plant my speech on higher ground too. On higher ground. There might be one here tonight who uh, is in need of a change of direction in the things that you talk about. You can make that change on your own. But if you have something tonight that you're concerned about in your spiritual life, and you're a Christian, you need prayers about that, you need to turn away from some wrong you've done and confess that. If you have any spiritual need like that, the members at East Side, you know, you can come and ask for prayers and request help in any way at any time. Now would be a good time, but any time. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, there's no better time than right now to name the name of Jesus, to elevate not only your speech, but your entire life to higher ground. We'd ask you to come while we stand and while we sing.